and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we'll be talking about legacy games, but specifically competitive legacy games. Seafall, Charterstone, Betrayal at House on the Hill, The Kind... The Kind's Dilemma. The King's Dilemma. The King's Dilemma. <laughs> Chris can't type, and I don't know enough about games not to just read what he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> the King's Dilemma and Clank Legacy are all examples of these kinds of games. Each has a story, but does the competitive nature add or detract from the story? Oh, and don't worry, this will be a spoiler-free episode, at least as far as specifics are concerned. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show. Adam Harrison, the SGC, and the Gift of Games in Gray's Lake. And a huge thank you to all our other patrons as well. Whew. What'd you guys do this weekend? I went to a wedding expo. A wedding? Ooh. Oh. I was, I was about to say whose wedding, and then it occurred to me. I said, hey, wait, probably <laughs> yours. yours. <laughs> you know, I just wanted Good to job, check it Chris. out. Just see what's happening on the wedding scene, you know. Well, don't you get all kinds of like cool swag when you go to those things? There wasn't a lot of cool swag there, at, th- at least at this one. They were handing out, um, one vendor was handing out bellinis that took them forever to make, even though it was like pre-mixed, which was weird. Um, you could buy $12 mimosas, which... Well, that's a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one vendor was handing out um barbecue so they had like little bits of barbecue with like a corn muffin and like um some stuff on like a chip thing wait and that was pretty tasty am i the only one, what? Am I the only one that thinks that's a horrible idea though with white wedding dresses and barbecue uh didn't you serve barbecue at your actual wedding <laughs> and spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't say it was a good idea <laughs> <laughs> I don't think like most people actually wear their gowns to bridal expos. You just need to dress in your had, normal like, clothes. Pasta, nerner sauce, and barbecue. <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago. Putting you on blast. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> um, we should be nicer to you because yesterday was in fact your birthday. That's true. It was in fact my birthday. Saturday, well, before my birthday. So Saturday, we drove to Wisconsin. You know, the 15 minutes. Technically, it was an hour and a half away. Wisconsin's only out your front door. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we stopped at McDonald's and got swag. We got more swag than your wedding expo. Like, we had to go to go to the bathroom, and we came out with, like, customer appreciation t-shirts. So like, why? Cool. What? I don't know. McDonald's was appreciating us. So, Did you tell them yeah. it was your birthday? Or did they just no. know? They just said, here you go. And I'm like awesome one size giving away everyone (laughs) t-shirts yeah basically you walk in you get a t-shirt with like a mcdonald's french fry on the front so not the fanciest of t-shirts but still it's french fries and then yesterday for my actual birthday i played i finished up the clank legacy campaign which coincidentally is why the topic of the show is the show today so you know bringing it all around and then Friday, I flew to DC and back in the same day. And yeah. tomorrow, which is when this podcast drops, I'll be flying to California and flying back on Thursday night, 11.30 p.m. California time, which puts me back at O'Hare at 5.45 a.m. Yeah. This week's going to suck. That's not fun. No, no. It, yeah, and it's all for work. So I, I want to say it will be fun and parts of it will be because when we travel for work, especially with the people I'm traveling with. Um, we tend to have some nice dinners, but we'll see how that turns out. 
You mean you didn't go to DC for 24 hours for fun? No. <laughs> and that wasn't even 24 hours. We got on the airplane. At, it took off at 7.15 a.m. And we landed at 7.45 p.m. We literally flew to DC and back for a one-hour meeting. Nice. Yeah. So that's business for you. Kitty, what'd you do? Um, I have my big fundraiser for my youth group is coming up. That's this Tuesday. Um, so I have just been like thinking about pancakes a lot. So this is a people eating pancake fundraiser? Yes. So it's the pancake supper. It's this is pep. um <laughs> the pep rally. Well, uh, the Shrove Tuesday pancake suppers are like a big tradition in churches. Mm. Um so lots of churches will do this, but the way our church does um this fundraiser is there is a plate a thon. So everyone comes and you try to dirty as many plates as possible and the priest washes all the plates and so you like pledge a certain amount of money per plate. So like say ten cents a plate and then he washes like two hundred plates, then you give us twenty dollars. So that's I would use disposable plates. <laughs> And then you could just because you them. don't want to give us money. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can wash the disposable plates, but then you can, you know, you don't have to do a good job with them. But I'm it's really not very environmentally friendly. Well, neither is running a whole bunch of water. Well, you like fill the sink. <laughs> don't Fair you know enough. how like dishwashing in a restaurant style works? We've got to do the three tub system. Oh, I used to wash dishes like that as a kid. Like me and my brother would. That's stand- how like everyone washed dishes for the longest time before dishwashers were invented in the home yeah and now it's worse though at least when we wash dishes in the sink we never left dirty dishes in the sink we wash them every single night and now i mean i wash my dishes after every meal yeah i don't some people still manage to not leave lots of dirty dishes around their house i mean i just just put all of mine in the dishwasher and then when it gets full i start it yeah Yeah, that's, Chris see, just leaves all his in the sink until the sink is full, and then he puts them in the dishwasher, see, but and then he that, starts it. Because can't use the sink. <laughs> it no, makes me crazy. There's a reason to this. So the, the, all the dirty dishes go on the left side of the sink, but they have to be rinsed first. No actual dirty dishes in the sink. Rinsed out dishes. The reason I don't put them in the dishwasher is because the dishwasher is full of clean dishes I haven't put away yet. So obviously, I can't put the dirty dishes in the clean dishwasher. Right. So you I take think out the maybe clean it's ones. like you... <laughs> You maybe eat more takeout than I do because, like, if I don't empty the dishwasher, like, the things that I need aren't in my kitchen. Like, I only have like one whisk and one potato peeler. So, like, when I go to like make eggs in the morning, I'm like, I better empty the whole dishwasher instead of just pulling out the whisk. There's only three forks. (laughs) And I, well, I mean, we've got lots of forks and plates, but like, you know, the the specialized equipment of the kitchen. Um, So, I usually run the dishwasher every night and unload it in the morning. But yeah, due sometimes to sometimes the system breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> due to both of us like working, we will yeah. eat probably maybe four or five meals a week at home, and then the rest is you know we're out at work at lunch or whatever, and breakfast is usually whatever we can carry out of the house. So yeah, whereas we, I would say we eat like four meals a day, at least me and player three. Yeah, bottles get washed a whole lot more than the rest of the dishes. But now that we're weaning them off bottles, we only have to use one bottle a day, and that's becoming really nice, too. So, But anyways, this is Tabletop Dish Talk, and <laughs> now <laughs> we're going to move on. Dish out all the latest information <laughs> My, um, on dishwashers. <laughs> secret desire to turn this into a cleaning podcast is really 
It's, just working. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to mention one other non-dish related thing. So Eric Price uh, <laughs> pointed this out to us. And actually, I had seen this before. And if we were doing Dice Tower News, this is one of the things that we would be talking about. But the NPR Science Podcast did an episode on Wingspan this last week. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I plan to. I it's on. to put that on my list. It's on my queue to listen to. So just throwing that out there. Again, things going mainstream is always fun. And then Dice Tower, actually, the thing I did watch is Dice Tower did a revisit of Wingspan. So they do this thing where after a certain amount of time, they'll go back and talk about a game and how they, you know, do they still like it? Is it, did it live up to the hype? Blah, blah, blah. So they did that. Um, I won't spoil that, short of saying that, yes, they still like the game, but I'll let them <laughs> deal with the rest and tell you how much they liked it. So Clink Legacy, this is the current hot legacy game out there. It is, oh, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of like $70 to $90 or something crazy like that. It is a really, really, really fun legacy game. And Clank itself, I like Clank. This is way better than Clank. Like infinite. So describe Clank for people who have not played or know what Clank is. Oh, which is probably both you guys, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Clank is <laughs> a press your luck um, kind of adventure scavenger hunt type of thing. So you imagine you're one of four heroes that are leaving your headquarters and going to look for an artifact. And you have to find a valuable artifact and be the first one back to your base to claim the trophy of being the first one back. And then you calculate points and see who wins. Uh, one of the aspects of Clank is about a quarter of the map is above the danger line. And if you die above the danger line, that's okay. You still get full points and you just, you know, basically they carry your corpse back to headquarters and you get resurrected. If you die below the danger line, you get zero points and you just lose. Also, there's a dragon flying around. And this is where Clank comes in. So Clank is the noise you make while trying to go and get this treasure. And the more Clank you make the more likely the dragon is to attack you when a dragon card comes up. So there's, it's also a deck builder. So you're buying cards from the marketplace, but some of the cards that refill the market will have little dragon symbols on there. When a dragon attacks, you take all of the clank you made, which are represented by little wooden cubes. You put them in a bag and you shake it all up and you draw out a certain number of cubes depending on the danger level. So you might draw four cubes. Um, there's some black ones which are just neutral and they don't do any damage. But if you draw your color, then that's a damage. Ten damage, you die. There's ways of healing and mitigating damage and things like that. But that's essentially the idea for it. So you run out, grab something valuable, run back before anyone else. It's fun. I like it. There's also Clank in Space. There's tons of expansions to both Clank and Clank in Space. Clank in Space is a little bit... There's a few more things you can do, which is also really cool. Same mechanic. Clank Legacy takes the Acquisitions Incorporated um, franchise, intellectual property, and puts that over the Clank gameplay. So now you have this... You are a corporation where your Acquisitions Inc., a franchise of, and you're trying to make a name for yourselves. And you're all working for the same Acquisitions Incorporated franchise, but you're also in competition with each other because you want to be the best employee and make the best impression to the franchisee owners. So that's the concept. And you're going to play through a number of games, just like any legacy game. Lots of things get unlocked. When you first start out, the board is only like you open up the board and there's like a third of it there. So you're like, well, I know that 
the rest of the board is going to get filled in at some point. It's a double-sided board, so half the games are above ground, half the games are in the underworld. Um, and there's a continuing storyline. There's people you're... there's. I don't want to spoil any of it. None of this spoils, obviously. This is just how legacy games work and what you would see when you open the box. But um, there's just a lot going on. And it is. it makes Clank far more fun because now what you have is you're do- still doing the same thing, running out, grabbing stuff, getting back to headquarters, but there's now missions and stuff that you have to do while doing that. And again, not spoiler, very first thing you do, set it up, you're going to get a mission that you need to go out and do something. Um, but this is what, so this Clank is a fully competitive game, but there are now story elements on top of Clank. So the entire time we weren't, well, there were three of us. And for the most part, we weren't super interested in winning the game. We just wanted to make sure that we unlocked all the story elements. <laughs> and That's very much your playstyle, yes. Exactly. And well, Jen was playing with us and she won every single game. Like point-wise, like won everyone except for the very last one. Sydney finally won the very last game. And there's also this concept of associate spotlight. So there's something that you can do um, in each game that will give you that associate spotlight. And I got the associate spotlight most of the time, but I never came close to winning in score. And Jen just <laughs> blew us away every single time. And I, when I was playing, like I said, I did not care if I won at all. There was a little bit of like, I want Jen to not win anymore because she kept winning, um, which failed every time and there was a bit of i want to get the associate spotlight but then they both decided jen and sydney both decided that no no no, we can't let you get the associate spotlight anymore because you've got like seven times in a row so there was a little bit of back and forth like that but it came out very late in the game but for the most part the rest of it was oh okay i'm not going to go back to headquarters yet because you're still below the line and we or we still have to do this mission or we still have to go over here and do that and it literally wasn't until like the last three games where we started getting cutthroat where it's like okay my mission was to make sure jen died which failed every single time the only person who ever died in this entire game was me <laughs> <sighs> but that was actually fun too um even death in this game is fun so the question i'm posing and i know you guys have not played this particular game but just in general Campaign game and legacy game, for the purposes of the conversation, are going to be the same. Games that are competitive and campaign or legacy based versus games that are cooperative and campaign and legacy based. Discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Thought you were going to give us a more specific lead there, but um, so I I had a question kind of for you about um your play style in this game. Because it was the story, did that just, like, change your motivation? Was Jen more focused on winning and that's why she always won? Or was, like, everyone equally committed to just, we want to do the story? I think we all wanted to do the story. I definitely was more gung-ho to getting to the story points first, um, which... I think caused Jen to say, well, if you're going to get the story, that's fine. I'll just go over here. Don't mind me. I'm just going to go pick up this 30 point artifact. And Sydney was often caught. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Sydney was often caught in the middle where I was getting to the story points first and Jen was getting to the artifacts first. So she was like in the middle in a lot of them until the end when she decided like, nope, I'm getting all the points I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
if there was a mission card out there, that's what we were all going for. And then we all looked at it and like, we can't win this game. Technically could, but we're not going to finish this game until all of these mission cards are done. Like that was our ultimate goal as a group is we wanted to make sure all the missions were done. So is this meant to be treated as a semi-co-op or is it like just the way you guys played it? I do not think it was meant to be played as a semi-co-op. I think it was meant to be played as cut pl- cutthroat competitive, just like any other Clank game. And because if you get to the story points, you did get certain benefits from certain types of stories. So even though you might lose a few points because you made a different decision, there was something else that you may have gotten out of it as well. And then there was character development and getting check marks, and the first person to get to certain levels would give you stuff as well. But... Yeah, this was not meant to really be semi-co-op. You weren't really (laughs) working together to complete these things. Because even if you didn't, and we never failed, never once did we not complete something. But if you didn't, they all had like kind of fallbacks where, you know, if you got to this point and this didn't happen, then you should do that type of thing. So it was like, but we don't know what that would have been because we had to to do all the missions. Yeah. I just wonder if maybe like they weren't like... There was obviously something that was important about them to you that, like, you found them to be more valuable for, like, their story element than for their, like, game reward. I wonder if there maybe should have been more, like, of a game payout, like, an in-game payout for completing the story arc. See, this goes to another topic that I don't know how to talk about or put into words, (laughs) which is something along the lines of, like, just taking games seriously. I have found more and more that I absolutely do not care about getting the best score in most of the games I play. I just enjoy, like, doing the stuff. But you still take them seriously. Uh, sure. I just don't take winning seriously. Like, even... Yeah, it, I me, think it that's doesn't different, matter. though. Well, no. I, I think it's a different point. I think taking games seriously, it can be taking winning seriously. But it's also, like, you know, I think if you're not taking a game seriously, it's like... The person who doesn't know the rules, the person who doesn't know when it's their turn has to, like, slow everyone down, that kind of stuff. That's not taking the game seriously. Not taking winning seriously, you can still be taking the game very seriously. Which is why I don't know how to put this into a subject, and I don't know whether or not it (laughs) should be its own subject. But yeah, like, I just don't, I don't care if I win or lose, but I enjoy playing the game. And I, the more I talk about it to people, the more I realize I'm in the small minority that of people that feel that way. I don't know. I totally get this on story-driven games. It makes perfect sense to me. I just feel like maybe there was like, I don't want to say like a failure of design there, but I feel like if these story elements are that important to the game, there should be like a point reward for completing them that can get you winning the game. You shouldn't be, like, sacrificing your score to further the story of the game if the game is that important to the design of the game. Yeah, and I think, I mean, most of them did not necessarily hinder you completely. Um, It was just a different goal instead of going down. So imagine that you go over to, you know, Kittyville to save kittens. And that'll get you a certain number of points. And it advances the story, but someone else goes to Super Pointville 
because they don't have to worry about getting the story. But Super Point Vale's giving you a lot of points because normally you wouldn't go down there because you'd want to go over to Kittyville to save the kittens. So it was kind of like those types of decisions where once you've saved the kittens, you can still go out and get points if you wanted to, but you spent a lot of time saving kittens. Um, also, we need to make that game now. But <laughs> instead of exploding kittens, <laughs> that's saving on you. Kittens. <laughs> <laughs> saving kittens. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Which is why I'm like, if you were trying to win, then the incentive is there to win. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying, and again, because the story is going to carry on without you, as most legacy games do, you know, the story is going to keep happening, whether you play multiple times or the final score is whatever, whatever is going to push you forward. I just had way more fun. And that's the thing. We all had a ton of fun. And when we were done with the game, we we're like sad that it was over. So we just, it was, the story was cool. There's lots of humor in it. There's like a lot of cool things they do there. Um, also, for Clank Legacy, $90, you get to, once the game is done, you can play the game over and over and over. You have your own personalized Clank board, um, just to throw that out there. But I, I mentioned at the end, I was like, I'll never play this game again, because there's no more story to unlock. And that's the reason I was playing the game, is for the story. Same thing with Pandemic Legacy. Once the story was done, like... I don't even think that one's playable, no, but I, end, I but can't go and play Pandemic. Yeah, I can't play Pandemic. Yeah. Like, there's no story there. So, but now I want to compare that, though. Like, and, and you've played Betrayal. Fletcher, you've played Betrayal, not Legacy. Not Legacy. But imagine, yeah. but imagine Betrayal with a continuing story-ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's more like... You're playing this like vague story, like there's these things that like carry through, but it's more. It just feels like we're customizing our game, game by game. Is it like, like a different mansion every time? Sort of. So you try not to spoil. Um, you start with the tiles like the way you always do, where it's just like there's the three floors, right? right? Um, and you just have like the landings, and you go and explore, right? So, like, with each game, it's, like, a different kind of generation um, owns the house. And it's, like, one of these, like, every player plays a family. Uh, I see. And so you get to, like, choose a family member of that family. And, like, whoever survives the scenario becomes the owner of the house. Got it. By default. Or whoever owned it before, if everyone lives, whichever. But And the tiles, you'll more and more tiles get added so the mm-hmm. mansion can become bigger over, during those different generations. Um, obviously, it's a legacy game, so certain things get destroyed as well. But it's it covers, and, what, and 113 the, years or something like that? It's like... Yeah. And there are, like, completely outside of, like, normal betrayal pieces that, like, show up and do things um, mm. that are, like... And I think that's more of the story element, and we haven't gotten far enough into like really discover enough. I don't know. I don't know. We're like I really want to play more. We're like six out of thirteen games in. Yeah, I think it's not until like game ten that all of a sudden it's going to be like, and now we did a thing <laughs> that's well, like going to create a big story. All right. Well, I don't know because well, it is definitely building to something. Let's sure and and maybe so talking betrayal and again. I don't think we remember enough to be able to spoil anything. So we're not going to spoil any story or anything like that. But 
with Betrayal, again, it was one of those things where I don't think I ever won a game. I still don't think I've won a game. Okay, well, Betrayal is tricky because it starts out like co-op. It even doesn't even like start out as a game. It's like starting out as like exploring. There's yeah, not really a goal most of the time. You're just like walk, walk, walk until you trigger an event. Yeah. So it seems like no matter which team you end up on, though. Because you have been the traitor and you have been on the good guy team, but you always end up dead. I lose every, yeah, just dead, dead every single time. And it doesn't bother me because I'm still kind of experiencing the storyline. I think the team that you were on has won a few times, but you personally still ended up dead. I'm pretty sure I've died every time except for the time I was the traitor and I survived, but you guys won anyway. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's not been so fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's one of those things again where it feels competitive, but I don't feel competitive. Well, well, the game is supposed to be competitive, whether it be team based or not. There are a few co op things in there too. I think that can happen. Um, but whether I'm winning or losing, I just don't have any care about it because it's for the story, and that's. That's what I'm wondering about. Is this competitive legacy games? Does it just automatically does do other people just not care about the competitive nature of this? Or is it just me? I mean, I don't think I care as much about the competitive nature in these games because it's more about the story for me too. I'm really I love story driven games. I think it's super fun. Um, but at the same time, when I'm in those moments, at least in betrayal, I am making the decisions that like make the most sense for me, but there aren't, it doesn't seem like as much conflict as it seemed like in Clank where in betrayal it's like when you're in the scenario, you're just like trying to further the scenario and they're, they play quick enough that even if you die, you lose horribly. You just want to start the next one. Cause like it's got, it's going someplace and it's fun. You've played normal betrayal, right? Um, only once. Maybe twice. So, Fletcher, I'm wondering, with Normal Betrayal, mm-hmm. are you competitive in general in that game? Do you want your side to win? And are you playing cutthroat? I mean, Maybe not cutthroat, just playing competitively to get that I mean, I want my side to win. to win. I'm definitely not playing cutthroat. But, I'm, I mean, I want to be on the winning side. Now, imagine, if you will, that... Again, just kind of cross this with something like Gloomhaven or, you know, where you're all trying to advance the story. Well, I don't know if that's the right term, but let's I'll just use it anyway. You're all trying to advance the storyline. Mm-hmm. Does that change your motivation or do you still want to win so that your storyline is the most successful overall and the global story doesn't? I mean, that's just going to come along with you, but you just want to make sure you're winning. Like, um... that's a statement, but... Make it a question. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find where the question is. Uh, I guess, like, when I play Gloomhaven, I'm, I guess I'm actually, like, more interested in the story. Like, I still want to win the scenario because that progresses the story forward. Um, and it's beneficial to my character. But usually I try to pick events that I find interesting and will progress part of the story. And usually I like to do, like, the side quests kind of first before I dive into, like, the main meat of the overarching story. <laughs> well, well, let's take Gloomhaven. So with okay. Gloomhaven, there are certain decisions that you can make that benefit your character and benefit you only. So opening a chest, 
might give right. your character something that you can't give away. Like it's built into the rules that you're not allowed to share. You're all mercenaries. Right. Are you going to run for a chest or are you going to say, oh, I don't need whatever I know that's going to be. So you go get that instead. Um, usually that's how it works. Like if, if a character is closer or if it's advantageous, that's the way that um, the group that I play plays with plays. Like we try to go for the chest, but we don't really care who gets it like obviously like each one of us wants it but like if it so happens that like someone is closer than me it's like okay yeah you go get that chest and i'll like you know defend these guys or like attack these guys or you know whatever draw fire essentially just so we have it because it's usually beneficial overall like it's better that somebody gets it as opposed to nobody getting it yeah but does it ever turn into like and then the same person got it 10 times in a row because we weren't really paying that much attention to who got it? Or do you try to like evenly distribute the wealth there? We don't try to evenly distribute. And it's usually like the fastest character usually is going to get the chest anyway because they can sprint over there, open it, and like sprint back. And I guess still it's better for them to get it because, yeah, they can't give it away, but you can sell it and then somebody else can like then buy it. So, yeah. And, and that's where... And Gloomhaven's not a competitive game, but it does have this competitive aspect. And it does sound like you're not really playing that competitive aspect up to make it something that, yeah. So we actually house ruled it because we were playing so much to the point where we wanted to be full co-op, where if you were to pick up an item, because by the rules, you can't give an item away, but you can sell it back for half price and then someone can buy it for full price. So we're like... Okay, well, that doesn't make any sense, really. So we just said, you can sell it to another player for half price. And that was fine for us, because that's how we wanted to play it as, you know, full-on co-op. But still, you know, try to stay within the spirit a little bit, where, yes, you're still a mercenary, and you wouldn't give something away for free, but you're making it the same amount, and it benefits you in the long run. So that was our, our logic behind it. And we just modified those rules, as opposed to you know, like Clank Legacy or Betrayal, where, I don't know, I guess Betrayal, we've been playing a little bit more cutthroat. You guys have anyway. Well, I think it's because <laughs> there's there's not like a clear, if this side wins, the good thing happens for the story and the bad thing happens. Like, either way, the story goes. Like, I, I think it's more, the story's a little more railroaded, yeah. honestly. Um. And I think it's more there are some kind of resources you can spend um, that might trigger some story events. I don't want to spoil. Sure. Um, I don't know. We haven't really gotten there, so I can't spoil too much. Um, <laughs> but like I said, it's it more seems like just kind of the random way things come out and who draws what cards. Those are the things that um are really the legacy aspects it's not like the story part of the game there's always so much story in betrayal you know there's the scenarios always have like the flavor text and the story going on i think there's just more of a thread from one scenario to the next that's like continuing throughout so which do you like better so we've played you and i have played betrayal and pandemic legacy one full co-op, one semi-co-op slash traitor slash team base slash whatever betrayal is. Whatever happens. <laughs> yeah. Which one do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy working with the entire group and having that be part of the game as you're discovering the story? 
or do you like the competitive nature being thrown in there where the person who wins oftentimes gets to choose something so there is some benefit to you know being that winner you might get something for it where in pandemic we just you know would argue until one of us gave up to do whatever <laughs> we're going to do i think i like both of them in different ways i really enjoy I don't know. It's hard to say because, like, I think when I was sitting at the table for each of them, I was whichever I'm playing at the moment, I would say was my favorite. So it's hard to like decide. I really loved Pandemic. I really liked, I thought that the story was very linear. Like, it, you were clearly going from like one place to the next. And I always wanted to know what was going to happen next. Whereas with Betrayal, it feels more like a roller coaster. I'm just kind of along for the ride, like, whoa, and that's happening. And so it's, still really fun and interesting to play, but I don't worry as much about how much my decisions are going to affect the long-term gameplay. So it's less stressful in some ways. I got a lot less passionate about betrayal (laughs) than (laughs) the pandemic argument where, like, I think Spencer and Josh just, like, left the room (laughs) at one point. Yeah, well, and it just felt more... I don't know. For some reason, to me, pandemic felt more real. It felt stressful at times. Yeah. Like, I would get stressed playing Pandemic. Like, no, these decisions matter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that stressed kind of feeling with Betrayal. And, you know, I I don't know if that's good or bad. I I was super into Pandemic, and I really enjoyed it. And I really, like, it's one of my favorite gaming experiences still. And anyone who asks me, like... Is Pandemic Legacy worth it? I'm like, yes, yes, play it immediately, find a group, do it all together as fast as you can, and tell me about it, because it's so much fun. All right, I like it. But I was stressed. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to talk about another game now that I have only played one mission of, and I'm assuming that you guys have not touched, and it's the, um, what did we call it? The the Kong's Dilemma or whatever? (laughs) The Kind's Dilemma. (laughs) The Kind's Dilemma. (laughs) Which is that really is what opposite. you typed, and I just read it, and I was <laughs> yeah. like, mm. I don't know what the kinds of dilemma is. So this is, is this a like game. the trolley problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the king's dilemma. Um, this is a game that just recently jumped up on the hotness on BGG because Shut Up and Sit Down did a glowing review of it, and I've I picked this up at Gen Con last year. Um, it is a legacy game, another competitive legacy game. And it probably plays best at like five or six players. Like it's it's meant to be p- kind of a big group here. And the idea here is you are all advisors to the king. And you're going to draw different cards that are going to pose some kind of dilemma. You know, do we feed the people or feed the army? And then you decide as a group which one you're going to do. If you feed the people, then maybe morale goes up. But the army's strength goes down and vice versa on the other one. And it'll kind of give you an idea of what there's like five different traits in the game. And each one will give you kind of an idea of what will be affected based on the decision. And each of you personally will have a particular card in front of you that says where you want these five different ratings. And again, I don't I think it's like morale, economy, military strength, whatever those types of things. I'm not specifically sure. I seriously can't spoil anything about this game. But um <laughs> <laughs> but you you want to either have it high, low, or in the middle for each one of these things. And that your card will tell you where you need to go. So it kind of gives you 
a way of determining what you want to negotiate. If you want to say, you know, if you want morale low and military high, then yeah, you're going to be like, no, no, no. I really think we should starve the peasants because they're just peasants and we should starve them. And so you have to come up with like a justification for what you're doing, even though you may be. Yeah, exactly. But you're, you're arguing against something that may not be strictly morally correct, right? Um, so that's the gameplay of it, is trying to get into these different things. Now, there's been a number of reviews out there that w- basically the consensus is the story of this game is awesome. If you're able to get into... And again, this is kings over generations, so each game is a new generation of king. So you're either playing until the king retires or until the king gets murdered or dies. Um, and then your family is going through as well. So it's a generational thing. Um, but the idea here, or the general consensus is the story is phenomenal. Like going through and seeing all these things play out is phenomenal. But if you're not invested in winning and getting to your point of view or whatever the card says your point of view is that the game can f- it loses something because you're there's you lose that negotiation plus there's a you really should play with like five people and not less but that's another issue it sounds almost like a legacy social deduction sort of there's nothing really to figure i guess there's out. nothing to deduct right <laughs> it's just a social interaction game it's a social interaction is probably the right thing to call it it's a negotiation game where you have your your hidden goal as to what you want to negotiate to. So do your goals change with each generation? Yes. Each time you're okay. going to and the Receive way you like a randomized yep. goal card. Yep. Okay. And you're gonna as it goes around, the first player picks the one they want and it passes and passes. So later in the game you know which cards are not in the game, like which goals are not in the game, but you may not and at the beginning you know really nothing, but you got to pick first type of thing. Um but I played a game of this at Gen Con when I first got the game, just to get an idea of whether or not we wanted to play this um, th- all through, because we were going on a, ga- on a cruise and we're like, oh, we could bring it with us. And we did end up bringing it with us, we just never got a chance to play it. Um, and it was interesting, but again, this was a situation where I was far more interested in the story than making sure I won. See, in this case, it sounds like you're breaking the game. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Like and I, I hundred percent agree that 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 is possible. Where if you're not interested in winning and you're just interested in the story, you could break the game. Yeah, like because it doesn't sound like that. So in some stories, it feels like there is a right and a wrong outcome, or a good and a bad outcome. I guess it's like pandemic. We're obviously trying to save the world from this disease. We're not. Like, there's no scenario in which it makes sense for me to be like, oh, well, we'll just let everyone die. Like, that's the good choice to make, you know? There's a very clear good path and bad path. Whereas with betrayal, you get more into a gray area. It's like, well, you know, the story doesn't really dictate the good guys winning is always good. Sometimes, you know, if the traitor wins, we might get more interesting story out of this. The the story isn't a, like, good versus evil, like, uh, save the world kind of story. It's a horror story. It's more fun sometimes if the bad guy wins for a while. Um, And this one, it sounds like, you know, how fun would it be in Game of Thrones if everyone just, like, sat down and agreed at the table and said, like, ah, yes, 
Ned Stark would make an excellent king. Done. (laughs) You know, like that's not the story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's just. It sounds like you're breaking the story, Chris. You're breaking the story. (laughs) Game of Thrones is written by Kitty. (laughs) (laughs) At least it would be finished. Which and I agree, and that's when George R. R. Martin dies. I'm available to resurrect Ned Stark. Everyone out there, take note. Nah, Brandon Sanderson will finish it. That's that's what he does. <laughs> he goes and finishes all the stuff. But yeah, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think that not playing up the the role, like the hidden your hidden goals, could break the game. Where if everyone's just like they always agree all the time, then it's like, oh, all right, well. Yeah, let's do this event because it sounds to me personally, Chris, that that is the right thing to do. But my character that I'm playing completely disagrees. It's kind of like when you go to a role playing game, right? And I was going to say, my character wouldn't do that, but I'm going to because I don't want my character to do that. This feels definitely more role play. This sounds like, um, and you know, that's always kind of the beginner role player plays a character that has like a lot of their same moral compass because it's a lot easier to play in a lot of ways um well i'll i'm gonna do this because that's what i want to do but it's also what my character would want to do so that works out nice yay whereas you know i think as i've gone you know through my role play career i don't know what you call it um i've gone from like i played a paladin that was easy for me. I want to do the right thing. I'm going to do the good thing. Love that. Um, follow me everywhere at Lawful Good Mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now we're playing vampire, and it's much more gray area. It's much darker. You have to, you know, well, I would want to obviously do this, but because, you know, my character doesn't want to do this. I would want to save all the civilians, but my character is tasked with protecting the masquerade. So we're going to lock everyone in this warehouse club. And, you know, sure, we're going to try to save them after that. But the bigger thing is we can't let anyone escape, despite the fact that there's a mass murderer going on in the back whose arm I ripped off. Yeah, detail, <laughs> Eventually. <details. laughs> but but that's something I wouldn't have done. Yeah. And and maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm just a really bad role player. And that's why I'm always the DM, because I don't have to role play as hard. I think you just haven't practiced your role playing. Ma- well, well, that's, you that's potentially... You stretched yourself. That is potentially true as well. I am... And if we take this to a role playing analogy, because let's face it, most of these legacy games feel like role playing games in a box. And these epic campaign games feel like role-playing games in a box. You know, Gloomhaven is a role-playing game in a box. Um, I guess, yeah, if you think of it as, like, different systems. Because, you know, depending on the system, your character matters a lot more than the mechanics of the game. Like, right. Vampire, very much all about role-play. You know, mechanics come later. Whereas Pathfinder... Oops, all mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, but don't think of the mechanics. I'm talking about the story. So all role-playing games have a story you're following through. And these these types of games also have the story. Now, I am used to being the dungeon master and presenting the story and doing things to advance the story, where the players are the ones that deal with the fiddly 
how to do that story advancing thing. So when I'm on the other side of the table and I'm part of the play player side, my goal is not necessarily to do what's best for my character because I'm not really used to that. My goal is to do what's best for the story, which is whatever it takes to advance that story along. I mean, maybe that's that separation that I'm feeling. I think that's just like a mindset you kind of have to break yourself of. I'm glad that, you know, our tabletop game talk therapy session has worked here for you. <laughs> where now you can, because the if a legacy game is well designed and it's working, it's going to take you. The story will advance. You will not be left behind. You can argue a little bit towards like, I want to make it the better story. I want to unlock more of the things. I don't want to have to have the catch-up mechanic show up to do the, you know, thing. Um, And if that's the case, that's a little bit different than I just want to advance the story. And if you're working to advance the story, that means that the game is not advancing the story, which is not good. I'm a completionist, though. So I, I agree that the game will advance that story, but I want all the story, every <laughs> branch. I think that's fair. But I mean, you know, you can't, if it's giving you the option to have the time to open every branch of the story, it's not, I don't think it's an urgent enough game then. But some branches are exclusive, right? Like, they have fork. to be. Yeah. Like you choose A or you choose B. You can't do every branch. Yeah. Well, it's not always but it's the case. It's probably more like side quests. Yeah. But you've got your main quest, but we have to do all the side yeah. quests. So there are certain games where that is true, where there's a branch, you're gonna choose one or the other, and the other the one you didn't choose is gonna be left behind. There are other games that no matter really what you do, the world is changing around you and what you did is just you know, how much you're affected by that world changing around you. And I don't, I'm specifically not naming any games, but there are games out there where no matter what you do, you're going to see the next card and the next card and the next card. King's Dilemma is not one of those games. King's Dilemma, there's a whole ton of story cards you're never going to see because that one truly is very branched. There's something like 70 envelopes in that box and you're not going to open up half of them. So there's a ton you're leaving on the table which is probably good. Otherwise, you'd be playing it for literal generations. Um, but that's like one extreme where others really kind of push you through that storyline. I do think, though, that can add to some replayability. I don't know how expensive The King's Dilemma is, but you know, if you play it through once and you really enjoyed it, even though it's not a resettable game necessarily, you might want to still, you know, go out and buy another copy and play it through again, you know, not right away, but maybe like in a couple years. I feel like I could play Pandemic Legacy again. I've forgotten so much of how it worked. And because of the decisions we made, it will never be the same two times in a row. And not even the decisions we made, but like the random decisions that are made for you affect the gameplay. Well, I used to think, so Pandemic Legacy was the first Legacy game I played all the way through. And just... Um, it reminded me because I've been meaning to mention it a few times. The first legacy game was a competitive legacy game. Risk Legacy was the first legacy game. Um, and we did play one scenario of that. Yeah. And it, it felt different. After Pandemic Legacy, playing Risk Legacy felt different. We were not as, ta- as attached to the system and to our characters as we were in Pandemic Legacy. Yeah. Now, it, 
they were different games, obviously. I don't know if it's the competitive versus the co-op, but just to throw that out there. Um, but now I lost my train of thought. I was talking about Pandemic. Risk, oh, risk Legacy. Risk, yeah. So basically, when we finished Pandemic Legacy, we didn't even consider playing it again because the story was done, right? We finished the story. <laughs> we're like, okay, no, no, we can't do it again because we know how it ends and we know the twists and all that stuff. We were looking at that game as a book, essentially, as a story, not as a game. If we were to look at that as the mechanisms of playing that game, you could play it immediately over again, and now you're trying to optimize your score. You're trying to optimize mm-hmm. the play of the game. But again, we didn't even think of that at the time. I'm thinking of it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, if I was actually to treat Pandemic Legacy as a game, I could totally play that over and over, and that would be fine. Well, also, this is how I treat books. I read them... And then two years later, I read them again. So I'm treating it exactly the yeah. way I treat um, books and movies both. Um, if I really, really, really enjoyed it, sometimes I will just like turn back to the beginning and be like, again, but that's very rare. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and I'm wondering if this is competitive or not aside, once you put a story to a series of games, how likely are you to play that series of games again? Whether it just be legacy, whether it be competitive, cooperative, campaign-based. If there is a story and the story is pushing you through multiple plays of a game, how likely are you to play it again? Fletcher. Not likely. Not likely at all. Kitty. How likely are you to read a book again, though? Exactly. Uh, Not likely. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) I read it. I got it. I'm good. All right. Now let me take the story off of it and say, now we have a game that you really like. Um, Kitty, Pandemic. Uh, Fletcher, I'm trying to think of something that's not story-based. I like Pandemic. All right. Pandemic. So Pandemic Legacy, you wouldn't necessarily play again because the story is done. But the game of Pandemic, how likely are you to play that over again? I'm likely. I mean, I play play it again with other people. I th- say I'm equally likely to play Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy, depending on how much time I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, but and the availability of the game and people right, to play it with me. <laughs> but right after we played Pandemic Legacy, you went and played Pandemic because you played the app for quite some time after that. But I did, you did not I want to play like, Legacy again. No, I like I said, I completed the story. I was happy with it, and now I've like had enough time that I would like to revisit the story, like. How how many games? I, I don't remember. Are, how, many, <laughs> how many games are in Pandemic Legacy? Like how many times do you play roughly? Twelve Between to twenty-four. Twelve and twenty-four. Okay, Jinx. <laughs> so I mean, to me, that's like that's a good amount of plays for a game, right? And they may be coming out with a season yeah. two or something to expand. Well, season two is out. Yeah. Okay. Season three may be coming out. We played the first half. Maybe does that quarter build upon season one? No. Sort of. No. It's like 50 years later or something like that. You don't need to play season one to play season two and have a full understanding of everything that's going on. I know you don't need to, but like if you did, if you did, it it has like a paragraph that's no, it's just like one paragraph that says like, and now. Yeah. The world (laughs) was. 50 years later. (laughs) Then this happened. Yeah. Yeah. No. There's, I mean, I would say it would be the same. As having played Pandemic, the base game is having played Pandemic Legacy Season One would be 
that's all the intro you need for Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Yeah. Okay. And in some ways it might hinder you because there are some mechanics that are different that really, like, took us a while to figure out because we were like, but this isn't Pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it starts out pretty quick, too, where it's it's like a Pandemic or spinoff as opposed to a direct Pandemic continuation. Um, But, I mean, really what I'm getting at is Maybe part of it is that these story-based games, you've, you're playing the game anywhere from 10 to 20 times. So you're done. You're, you're good. You've played the game. But also, I think that even for games that I, I like and would play 10 or 20 times without a story, just to you know replay, optimize scores you know in a competitive way, once there was a story version of it and I finished the story, I am very unlikely to go back and play the story version, or I may go back and play the non-storied one. So like Clank Legacy. I just got done with Clank Legacy. I don't really have any intention of going and playing that over again, but I would play Clank. So you think the so this is something that's kind of different about like the newest generation, I guess, of legacy games is that now almost all of them you end up with a playable version of your game. Yep. So even though you are no longer using the story elements, you'd rather play the base game than your customized version. Hundred percent. So weird because I would be way more likely to play our betrayal board. Yeah, and because well, like it's got like fun memories tied into. Yep. It, but you know, and also I don't think you if you play all of the legacy version, you still don't hit all the scenarios necessarily. I true for um, betrayal legacy. Yeah, there's still extra scenarios you could do, but. And I understand that feeling of saying, oh, I have this custom thing. So when we played through Charterstone, Charterstone is a game that at the end, you have your own custom board. It's a worker placement game, uh, worker placement resource management game. And you have a custom board and you have all your memories on the board and you've named everything. But once we finished our 12th game, we had zero interest to play it again. Now, Sydney will tell you, as she's screaming at her phone right now that <laughs> she she didn't actually care for the game all that much she didn't you know it wasn't for her it wasn't her style of thing it was she played it for the story and then once the story was done she's like it's just not compelling but it's to me i mean it's a fun worker placement game but the fact of the matter is playing it to advance the story to me feels way different than playing something that's already been played if i was to go back to charterstone or clank legacy right now I would feel like this isn't the same game because the last two, t- the last times I played this game, I was playing to find out what happened next. And now there's nothing. This thing happens to video games as well, right? So I beat Zelda on the Switch and I tried to go around and collect all the seeds and collect all the things I missed, but it just, I'm like, I've already beat this. Like nothing, nothing matters anymore. The story's over. Why am I still playing? You're not Spencer who played Breath of the Wild, finished it, and then went through and played it on master mode or whatever it is. Yeah, that's like Carmen. Same thing. Immediately. (laughs) Spencer is a huge, like, optimizer. He gets all the things. He finishes all the quests. He does all the shrines, everything. And once he finishes it the first time, he'll go back and do it, like, optimized. Yeah, I mean, and he loves it, and it makes him so happy. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the thing is, I and I understand the people who want to do that. I used to be like that too, um, but nowadays it just feels like I, I don't know. It feels like I'm playing in the epilogue, and an epilogue's fine as long as there's still story there. But if I'm just going like epilogue's over, and now I'm just going to keep 
looking at blank pages just so I can keep turning pages in this book, it doesn't have the same feeling for me. That's fair. I mean, everyone plays games for different reasons, you know, and if you're not enjoying it, then why bother? But I think for a lot of people, this like the replayability aspect of legacy games was such a challenge, especially to make the monetary investment. They're they're expensive games most of the time. Um, and to make that monetary investment for a game that like you have a limited number of plays was a hard pill to swallow. Okay. Um, that, and, and I was not and, one you know, of those we've people. We've talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> we've talked about it before. We always thought it was worth it, even with Pandemic Legacy, where you couldn't replay it after the finished event we were like even if you did everything perfect and played it only 12 times that was still a really good 12 plays and we often have games on ourselves that don't get played 12 times yeah, so I have games that's on my worth shelf it that i pay the same amount of money for that don't get played at all right yeah. so i mean i don't but i know you do. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't know i just think it was an interesting thought experiment all the time i was playing clank i'm less like I mean, there was, like I said, a little bit of egging on in general, but we were playing it very cooperatively. I don't think every group does. Um, I think that, you know, the yeah. pe- it's just, it depends on the group. And I guess if I was sitting at a table where, you know, three people were being very, very competitive, and I was just like, I want to advance the story along, that wouldn't work out for me. I think I would become competitive. Um yeah, or you would stop enjoying the game. Or stop enjoying the game. One or the, the other. Game. Yeah, because it's like, okay, you ended the game again, and we haven't even gotten half the story elements. Like, I am not enjoying this because you keep just winning and not yeah. letting the story advance. Yeah. So, but I have but not also, run into like, that yet. But also, like, if I was the competitive player at the table who's like, well, don't tell me not to win the game because you want to unlock the story. The story's there. I'm not ruining the story. I'm furthering the story. <laughs> you know, like. But you're not furthering it, it in the right to- way. You have to find the right game group to play these games with. It's true. As long as everyone's having fun. That's what matters. It's true. All right. Anything else that we should talk about on this one? I don't think so. This was a more interesting topic than I thought it was going to be. Good job, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure that was going to be an interesting topic either. I'm like, and we'll just have a 20-minute episode this week because... I mean, we think that all the time. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, that never happens. Uh, No. Never never run out of things to talk about i was worried it was just going to be like legacy games revisited but i think we took a new spin on it talked about new stuff at least and there are so many new legacy games that we could just have done legacy revisited yeah the first time we did a legacy games thing i think pandemic legacy was was it yeah there was a couple more that were copycatting <laughs> it was like seafall risk and and pandemic pandemic yeah yeah yep legacy games have definitely made their Mark on everything, even so. Mari Cabo, which I've talked about a few times on Dice Tower News, which is Alexander Fister's uh, like sailing around the Caribbean game of Great Western Trail. Even that has legacy cards in it. Like it's a it's a Euro game. It's a heavy Euro game with a legacy deck that each time you play, you're playing through a different story element and you're modifying your Euro board and stuff. And to me, when I opened up the box and I saw that, I'm just like. Oh, man, I was just hoping for an actual game, and there's all this. And there is a non-story mode you can play, but it's like an exception that was thrown in after the fact. And I'm just like, uh, and it just, it killed my wanting to play it, because I'm just like, I can't, I can't get invested. Not this deep. Not in a game that's going to take me two and a half hours per play. Just, yeah. But one of these days I will, because I, I am interested in it. But, yeah. 
Okay. Well, you can follow us on Facebook, Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter's Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher's Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can check us out on iTunes and leave us a review or Apple Podcasts, which still will never, ever sound right to me. Um, <laughs> you can also go to our Patreon at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. And now we're going to do credits from Jason Rodney. So here's the deal. At some point, I'm going to draw from everyone who's given us credits, and you're going to get a Kickstarter version of Zombicide Invaders. Um, and that's going to happen when I stop having credits. So from this point on, as soon as I don't have credits to play anymore... Kitty will read all the The names. The drawing is happening. And then we'll do the drawing. (laughs) So fortunately for everyone, Jason sent in his credits this week. So um, he sent me two files. I don't know what one sounds better. And because I don't listen to them beforehand, we're just going to click the one that says base and see what happens. Tabletop Game Talk is brought to you by our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, Terrence Milner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wang, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbert, Justin Willard, Christopher Dahl, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Racky, Nick Quistra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Philip Swartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dahl, Nate, Vance Fultum, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Carter, Jesse Wachowiak, Gregory Hubber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhoosh, Chris Waletko, John Lewis, Joe Roscott, Ron Nelson, Sarah Wentworth, Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toff, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Matthew Droke, Aaron Moore, Jesse Wheeler, and Charles Pearson. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Hi, Carmen. I saw the baby. The baby walk. The baby walk. So exciting. That, I was going to barge in here as soon as I got that. So that took a lot <laughs> of willpower and self This is uh, this is Fletcher's other lover. We're the truffle. We're the truffle. You didn't tell you? <laughs> this is Chris. This guy's marrying us. And this is Kitty. I'm Roxanne. I don't know if I said my name. I don't, I don't think, think so. Kitty is married to Spencer. Who it's okay. Yes. I like to play a game called Name That White Guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have fun. I believe you. <laughs> hour and a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we have a post-credit sequence. There you go.